The Army encourages its soldiers to have a battle buddy, someone they can get to know, confide in when times are tough, and look out for one another on the battlefield. It can be a lifesaver because not all wounds are visible. Does the church do the same? People are not finding nurture in the house of God. They are going to other places where they can find it. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. God has designed us to do life together. And without proper nurture, a community of believers will fail. This week, Charles Tapp continues his series of messages on community with his message, The Nutrition of Nurture. Turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 16, as we look at verses 17 and 18. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. As I always say whenever we read Scripture, context is everything. For today we are looking at this journey of the promise of community. And we're looking at how Christian nurture helps us as we do life together. But as we look at this passage in Matthew chapter 16, verses 17 and 18, we want to look at its context. For in verses 13 to 16 of Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is challenged, we are told, by Two groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the elite of Israel. Probably the best way to describe the relationship between these two factions is with the proverbial saying, politics makes strange bedfellows. The meaning of this, of course, is that political interests can bring people together who otherwise have very little in common, and in some cases may actually be at odds one with the other. And the challenge that was presented to Jesus was for him to show, to give them an irrefutable sign from heaven that he was who he claimed to be, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. The next challenge Jesus encounters is not from either one of these two groups, but from the 12, his own disciples. It is not a challenge in the same vein of the one given by the Pharisees and Sadducees, but Jesus in this instance was being challenged by his disciples' apparent lack of faith in the claim that he was the Son of God. So in verse 13, Jesus asks this question, 
Who do men say I, the son of man, am? And they proceeded to give him a list of individuals. For instance, some, he, they said, you are John the Baptist. Others say that you're Jeremiah. Some say that you're one of the prophets, while still others are claiming that you are just a good man, just a good rabbi, just a good teacher. But now it was Jesus' turn to challenge them. And he posed them this question, but who do you say that I am? And of course, as we know oh so well, Peter gives the answer of all answers. He says, listen, you are not just a teacher. You're not just a rabbi or a good person or a prophet. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. You're the one that Israel has been waiting for all this time who has been promised to come and bring deliverance to the people of God. Jesus then proceeds to tell them, especially Peter, Peter, it's upon this rock, not the rock Peter, but upon Peter's confession that Christ is the Son of God, that I am going to build my church. And he says, and the gates of hell will not be able to withstand the onslaught of the church. The word used here for church in the original language is the word ecclesia. In that particular time, it really didn't have any religious connotation to it at all, but it comes from the verb kaleo, which means to call. So ecclesia means a group or an assembly that has been called out from one place and called together for a particular purpose or a particular reasoning. But now Jesus uses this word, ecclesia, not to refer to any community of sorts, but now he uses this word to refer to his community, the community of believers who have accepted the call to come out from the world and come together under the belief that he is who he claimed to be, the Christ, the Son of God. Not just a good rabbi or teacher, not even just a good man, but they've been called out because they believe that he is the Messiah. And this message that Christ is, is more than a man, but is the Messiah, the one who will save their people from their sins, is what we refer to as the gospel of the kingdom of God. And as I've shared on many occasions before when we talk about the kingdom of God, we're not talking about necessarily a place, although eventually the kingdom will be that. But when we talk about the kingdom of God, we're talking about not just a place, but rather the place that God deserves and desires to have in each and every one of our lives. For when we talk about kingdom, we're talking about the reign or the rulership of God. So when the kingdom of God comes, it simply means that I have given access to God to rule my life. As a matter of fact, when the disciples came to Jesus and they asked him the question, when is your kingdom going to come? Where is it? And Jesus turned to them and said, the kingdom of God is already within each and every one of you. And why could he say that? 
because they had been kaleoed. They had been called out from the world because they responded to the claim that Jesus made that he was the Christ, the son of the living God. And when we come together under that call, we then become the church. So this word ecclesia that started off with no religious connotation at all evolved over time to be known as the church, the community that had come out of the world and had come together to serve and to worship Christ, the son of the living God. So when you look at the church, and this is important, the church is merely a product of the kingdom of God. Because once you and I accept the fact that we're going to allow God to reign in our lives, we then become a part of this community of faith that we call the church. And by definition, a community is a group of people who either live in the same place or they have the same common interests or goals in common. But when it comes to this new community that we call the church, the called out ones, it's much deeper than that. Please don't miss this today. The mere fact that you are the church means that you have accepted the call to come out. The mere fact that I am a member of the church of God means I have accepted the call of the gospel of the kingdom to allow God to rule my life. And whenever God calls us out, he calls us to. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 to verse 11. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to do what? but to obtain salvation. Just leave that there for a moment. What is Paul saying? That God didn't call you out of the world to come together to beat up on each other, but he called you out of the world to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 10. Who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should do what? Live together with him. Now look at verse 11. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you are also also are doing. This word edify comes from the word edifice. Edifice meaning building. So in this case, Paul is using it as a verb. In essence, he's saying God didn't call you out from the world to beat up on each other, but God called you out from the world to build up each other. I wish that's a lesson that the church would learn. God didn't call us out from the world to beat up on each other, to tear one another down. God called us out from the world to each other to build up each other. Who says amen to that today? That's our objective. That's what nurture is all about. That's what biblical nurture means for the body of Christ, to build up one another. And I looked up some synonyms of the word nurture. One is the word support. We were called to support, to encourage, to strengthen, to cultivate, 
to foster. I love this word foster. It means to stimulate, prompt, prod, or to motivate. How many of you sometimes need to be motivated? Sometimes you come in walking like this, like some of you did this morning, and somebody needs to prod you and wake you up and stir you up and not beat you down. That's not why we were called together, Paul says. We're called to build one another up. Look what he says in Ephesians to the believers at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and verse 16. Look at what he says. But speaking the truth, how? In love. Speaking the truth in love. May grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. Verse 16. From whom, what? The whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. In other words, whatever you bring to the table, it should bind us together according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes what? Growth of the body, here's that word again, for the edifying or the building up of itself in love. Paul says when you come together and you bring your gifts and you bring your talents and you help one another, not only does it help to build you up and to build the other person up, but it also helps to build up and strengthen the entire body of Christ. But only when we come together to build up and not to tear down. You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, The Nutrition of Nurture. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. I'm going to take a moment and just recommend that you breathe. Now, there are all kinds of breathing techniques that you can use. One is count to 10, you know, breathing in, count to 10, breathing out, kind of hold it in the middle, you know, breathing in His grace and breathing out His praise. Whatever you choose, breath is really important. And this time of year, you know, you may have a cold or you may have the flu and it's restricting your breathing. So you know just how important that is. God has given you that breath. In Acts, Paul wrote this, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. And so take a moment and take a deep breath and stay encouraged. To get more encouraging content, go to WGTS919.com. This is Simple Truths for Life, and without proper nurture, a community of believers will fail. Charles Tapp shares one of the most important elements for a community to thrive. As he concludes his message, the nutrition of nurture. The Apostle Paul, this first century church planter, made it crystal clear that the body of Christ will never become the growing and dynamic community which reflects the love of Christ unless each part does its work. Total body function, he says, is absolutely essential if a church is going to become all that God intended it 
to be. Simply put, Christian nurture, the building up of the body by members of the body, is one of the essential ingredients which provides the body of Christ with the nourishment that it needs so that it can become a healthy body. But when this one ingredient is missing, not only does the individual community suffer, but the community to which it has been called suffers as well. When this one ingredient is missing, I don't know what it is for you when it comes to your food, but for me it's ketchup. Are you kidding me? Where are you? Are you closet ketchup lovers? I was talking to somebody this last week and they had their french fries and they didn't put any ketchup on. I said, you don't like ketchup? They said, no, I don't, I don't like ketchup. I said, oh, okay. I don't just like ketchup. My whole family, we're ketchup fiends. Seriously. And let me tell you how all this came about. Going to college, I can say this now after some, I don't know how many years from graduating, the food was terrible. No, here's terrible. Here's where the food. It was so bad that we boycotted the calf. And because we boycotted the calf, they kicked us out and they gave us sack lunches. When they finally let us back in, I said, the only way I can eat this stuff. So we had to put ketchup on everything. I got so hooked. I don't care what I'm eating now. Eggs, pizza, macaroni and cheese. Oh, yeah. Even, even Mexican food, which is at the top of my list. I put ketchup on Mexican food, Indian food. I put it on everything. I have a T-shirt that says I put ketchup on my ketchup. I'm eating a meal and there's no ketchup. Doctor, tell them the truth. You know. If there's no ketchup, you got to find it. You got to stop the meal. Time out. Get me some ketchup. That's the missing ingredient for me. If the church is missing this ingredient of nurture, this one element that Paul says is what binds us together and strengthens us, we will fail to become the community that God has called us to be. Turn with me to Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1 and verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a what? Famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Ruth is a very interesting story for many reasons. But the first thing that catches my eye is that in this male-dominated culture of Scripture, here is a place where women are actually the central characters and not just the supporting cast. The first five verses of chapter 1 really set the scene and introduce the various characters. But an interesting, as interesting as a story as this is, Ruth is ironic in verse 1 for this particular reason. It says, 
that there was a famine in Bethlehem. The name Bethlehem means bread of heaven. If ever there was a place you thought there would be bread, meaning food, sustenance, it would be in a place called what? Bethlehem, the bread of heaven. For instance, in Isaiah 56 and verse 7, God says, And my house shall be a house of prayer for all people. So when you go into a church, you expect to hear the prayers of the people, right? Because this is a house of prayer. But it says in the city of Bethlehem, the bread of heaven, there was no bread. There was no food. There was a famine. So what did this man do with his wife and his two sons? Scripture says he left Bethlehem and went to Moab. And if you know anything about the relationship between Moab and the children of Israel, God said, leave these people alone. Stay away from them. They don't worship the true God and they will pull you away from the worship. Of true God. In other words, they left the bread of heaven to go to the world, what they could not find there. Now, I know what some of you are asking. Pastor, what does this have to do with nurture? Stay with me. There is another famine in God's church today. For we come to the house of God and we expect to find the people of God building one another up, but we do not find it. Where else would you expect for the people of God to be able to go and be edified, to be nurtured, to be built up, to encourage, and to be motivated other than in the house of God? Recent studies have shown that because people are not finding nurture in the house of God, they are going to other places where they can find it. Studies have shown that people now go to places like the gym, clubs, and even the bar, not because they're leaving God or their faith in God, but because they cannot find a group of people who are willing to build them up. So what they cannot find in the house of God, they go to the world. So there is a famine in the church today. It is not a doctrinal famine. It is a famine over the very thing that God ordained to build his church, to build his body, in many cases is nowhere to be found. And people ask me all the time, Pastor, why are young people leaving the church? It's not over doctrine. It's because they find people beating one another up instead of building one another up. Community. Coming together. Doing life together. I hear people say all the time, well, well Pastor, my relationship with God is personal. And it is to a point. Personal meaning it is intimate. But if your relationship with God does not lead you to have relationships with others, you need to reevaluate your relationship with God. If I love God most, then I should love others best. 
This sentiment rings true with, even with the words of Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples, how can you say you love God, whom you've never seen, yet you hate your brother, whom you do see? And then he says, listen, and this is how all men will know that you really have love for me if you can love your brothers and your sisters. As I said just last week, Christianity is not an isolationless religion. John Bailey, the Scottish theologian, said it is impossible for men to meet with God and love him without at the same time meeting with and loving one another. So if I truly love God, the outgrowth of that is I'm going to want to be with you and to love you as well. John Wesley, founder of the Methodist Church, was convinced of this fact when he would go around as an itinerant preacher and he would baptize individuals. Once these individuals were baptized and brought into the church, he divided them into small groups, into small units, because he understood that without this close fellowship, they would not continue in their faith. Because we were called out to be called to, not to tear down one another, but to build one another up. Look at this quotation by Ellen White. I believe it's from volume two of the testimonies. She says, when we meet together to edify, there's that word again. What does it mean? To build up, to nurture. When we meet together to edify one another by an interchange of thoughts and feelings, together strength and light and courage. How? By becoming acquainted with one another's hopes and aspirations and by earnest what? Heartfelt prayers, we ought to come together in small groups to pray together. Offered up in faith, we receive what? Refreshment and vigor from the source of strength. So you're not going to get all of that just coming to a corporate worship service where you've got eight, nine hundred thousand people in attendance every week. You're not going to get that. That only happens in small groups. And I understand that for some folk to be part of a small group, that's terrifying because we don't like getting close to one another. It's, it's, it's hard to hide in a small group, isn't it? It is interesting. I can preach in front of thousands. But let me just say this. I'm always nervous when I speak. Always. Always. But if I talk in front of 10 or 15 people, I am scared to death. It is hard to hide in a group like that. But here's the thing I learned over the years. My greatest growth didn't come from large gatherings like this. It came from smaller gatherings. For we have been called out, called to one another to build each other up. That's why I love about, one of the things I love about the reset ministry we have here at Sligo Church. This small, intimate cafe setting where we can share stories, share testimonies, pray together in smaller settings because that's where true spiritual growth and development takes place. That's where community is fostered. And that's what we've been called to do as a church, to build one another up. Recently read a story about a contractor in Japan who was renovating a building 
and he tore down a wall. And as he tore down this wall, he saw an interesting sight. He saw a lizard that had been fastened to the wall by someone who had impaled him with a nail as they were building the building. What surprised him even more about this, this building had been built five years earlier and the lizard was still alive. I'm not making this up. You can go online. He was still alive. So he wondered to himself as he stood there perplexed, how in the world could this lizard go without food, without water for five years and still be alive? A few minutes passed by and he saw another lizard climbing up the wall with a mouthful of food, which he started sharing with the other lizard. For five years, this other lizard kept this impaled lizard alive by bringing him the nourishment that he needed. If a lizard can get it, why can't we? Many of us are nailed by, held down, held back by our circumstances, by our challenges. We need somebody to come and give us the nourishment of nurture. Who says amen to that today? Well, we weren't just called to be nurtured. We were called to nurture, to build one another up. You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, The Nutrition of Nurture. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify. Or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Next week, Charles Tapp has an important message you won't want to miss called Skywriting. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more Simple Truths for Life.